All right. Happy Friday. I am in a holly jolly mood because this is the last learning tech talks of 2020. And it is it is my last day before taking some time off before the end of the year. Same with my guest, which we're going to get to that in a minute. But as we get going here, uh, so it's Friday. We are back with learning tech talks, exploring the landscape of learning tech while cutting through the fluff, talking about all sorts of fun stuff. And uh, so while we're getting started here, if you could like the post, share it, tagging somebody who'd benefit from the conversation, I'm going to get started here. And today I've practiced your name. I don't know how many times in the back and I'm going to butcher it now and then I'm going to make you say it. But it is Yanyet Hayetala, kind of close, kind of close. But my, my lack of Finnish roots definitely came through, correct? That, that, that's fine. I don't mind how it's being spelled. But if you want the, the Finnish version, it's Janne Hietala. Janne. Okay. All right. Very simple. Very simple. I'm going to have to figure out how to have this entire conversation without saying your first name because I'm just going <laughs> to embarrass myself. But anyway, so he is one of the co-founders of Valamis, which is a, a, an LXP in the market. We're going to talk all about that and dig into what you know what does that mean how do you make the most of it we're going to hear the story too of, of where that came from i'm looking forward to it and again if you don't know much i'm learning all about finnish culture i am going to draw all sorts of small talk and things out of this conversation is going to be high energy like it or not but this is how you are going to end your year and we both share that because we're both today's it and then we're taking some time off which we'll tell you about more but first as we get into it for those of you participating, comment along the way with everybody else. Share with us where you are. Where are you today? I'm, not, I'm talking you. I'm asking you. <laughs> I'm going to practice not saying your name because it's going to be really embarrassing. Okay. okay. Um, I'm, I'm based here in Finland in Joensuu, so we're quite close to the eastern part, uh, east east part of Finland, where we're headquartered here in Joensuu. Um, it's it's a quite tiny place compared to any any normal sized sized town. So in this region, we have about seventy five thousand people living. Uh, I spent a couple of years uh, uh, in London with my family. We just moved back in, in two thousand nineteen. So when we were based in Canary Wharf in London, so we had the same amount of people in a couple of square kilometers. Or square, yeah, a couple of square kilometers that we have in the the whole county here, basically in East Finland. So. <laughs> It's it's a different kind of atmosphere, um, but particularly now in the in the sort of uh, these are the these are the dark days in Finland. So you can take, put your head down and concentrate and work. There's not much light outside. Oh, so literally um, dark days because yeah. a lot of people would say 2020. There, it's dark days 2020. But you mean literally? Yeah. It just doesn't get very sunny out because of the time. I, of I think year. there's like a three four hours of sunlight and it, it, it barely goes above the horizon. Um, okay. All right. But, but, I, I think that's why we have sort of in Finland long holidays during the summer when there's long days and okay. you can sort of spend outside. And during the winter, you you sort of do go, go put your head down and do the work. Okay. All right. Well, that's fair. That's fair. Do you have like a happy lamp? Do you know what one of those things are? Uh, sort of. You can, you well, can the the light behind you is pretty happy. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. It, it's, if I shift the camera a little bit, you, you can sort of see the glow behind my head, but... That's sometimes awkward, um, but I'm fine with that. Okay, okay, got it, got it. All right. Well, I'm in I'm in Waukesha, Wisconsin. I am curious, temperature wise. So it's it's getting cold here. I, I don't have my temperature calculator, but it's it's close to zero, which actually Fahrenheit and Celsius is 
relatively close. Is it yeah. warm? What's it like there? No, it's below freezing here, about oh. in minus minus five, minus ten Celsius, something like that. So okay. all right. It's oh okay. yeah. It's okay. <laughs> so not only is it dark, but it's also very cold. Yeah. So staying indoors makes perfect sense. All right. So before we get into it, before we get into discussion on that, we now talked about locations, all that good stuff. But like we said, we both are almost done for 2020. So I am curious, and everybody else can play along if you'd like in the comments, but what are your holiday plans or year end, whatever, whatever you're taking time off. You're, yeah, you're yeah. not just going to sit in like a, you know, in your room in the dark. Um, that's going to be part of it. That's going to be part of it. Um, but I think during, during the Christmas holidays, especially uh, here in Finland, there, there's a couple traditions that we do. So obviously good food, okay. uh, doing, doing different kind of uh, baking and, uh, uh, cooking is involved there. You get whole family together. This year, of course, we have to do things a little bit differently, sort of having only the core family yeah. together. And, and, and we'll, we'll do more virtual readings with the extended family and, and so forth. Um, I think the kids will be looking for visit of Santa during the during the eve, uh, yeah. Christmas trees, everything like that. So, so there are a couple of things that need to be ticked uh, in the box. All right, all right. You got but some a lot of relaxation for it. Just, just enjoying, enjoying time and relaxing a little bit and calming down. Okay. Well, we both agreed that we're both going to try and shut our laptops and not look at them. That, that was the other part of that. We'll see how, we'll see how successful we are with that. So on my end, what's kind of funny is, um, and again, I don't know globally how well this resonates, but you know, what we discovered this year, we're doing things differently too. I have a bunch of, I have a whole pack of little kids. We've got a basketball team. Um, but you know, we uh, we decided this year we're going to kind of go on Olaf's frozen adventure journey in that we want to build we want to build some sort of family tradition. So I do feel a little bit like Olaf, where in all the conversations I ask people like, what do you do? What are you doing? Because I kind of want to steal some of them. I was on a call this morning and, and I found somebody who they do gingerbread competitions with their kids. I'm like, I might take that. I might take that one. So we'll see. We're gonna I'm gonna have a diverse global <laughs> family yeah. tradition by the time I'm done. Well, I, I re remember from, from sort of childhood back in back in the home uh, with, with my family, there was the tradition that I couldn't use the computer in, in during the Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Those okay. were the two days of the year that computers was banned. Obviously, we didn't have phone like like smartphones. Right, or right. That's the thing. You say that now, everybody would just be like, "Yeah, yeah okay, that's yeah. totally fine." <laughs> and I, I guess during the time when I moved uh, moved to another city for for studying in the in the union and things like that, I sort of slipped from that one tradition. So, so uh, <laughs> that's one that you didn't keep. Okay. Yeah, I, I think I couldn't do that these days, which is kind of unfortunate. But this is this is where we are. All right, all right. Well, Janine, Janine shared her plans are her traditions are a scavenger hunt. So I may I may have to ask more details about that one because again, I'm building my I'm building my wish list of holiday traditions. So feel free, those of you on the call, send them over because I'm building a list. I'm checking it twice. <laughs> all right. So anyway, enough of, enough of that stuff. Let's get into this because you've been with Valamis from the start. And for those who may not be familiar with Valamis, like I said at the beginning, it is it is in the category of the LXP or learning experience platform. But before we tear all that apart, tell me a little bit about or tell everybody a little bit about the journey on how you got there, because you were you were I, I have a little bit of insight in that you were doing some entrepreneurial stuff before. And then you kind of teamed up with the Valamis team and you've been there ever since. 
Yeah, so, so there's a quite a long history in a, in a way that I wasn't there in, in the very, very beginning. Uh, and, and we had a different name for the company back then as well. But we, we roughly all the entrepreneurs within the company, we all started roughly at the same time. Okay. And, and sort of this, there's the Finnish way of saying putting hunger and cold together to get a little bit more. Um, so, so we were, I think at the time we merged the companies in 2008, we were eight people. Okay. Uh, the background with the company and with all of, all of the founders and co-founders there was really tech. So, so we were founded as a tech company, developing custom software with a lot of with open source background, open source mentality and philosophy in a way. And we did some really, really tough software projects with very demanding customers, some of these Nokia subcontractors back in the day and so forth. Um, and, and that was really how we grew the company through the, through the tech business when we started then to invest into our own product. So we had some expertise within the business, some people coming in with L&D backgrounds. They were looking at some of the stuff that we were doing in the portal world and saying that, hmm, this could be actually really good learning platform. And this was- so at the beginning. So at the beginning, it wasn't, you weren't thinking learning at all. No, you actually no. ended up then getting some people that went, hey, wait a minute. I think I've got a use case for this. I, I think the core ambition in a way, how we've sort of taken these different steps as entrepreneurs has been to think that we want to be the best on what we do. Uh, we want to be challenged in a way that what can we do to become the best in the, in the tech business in Finland? From there, we started to think that how do we, how do we grow international? How do we become really like, like a great company in one specific area? And we, we thought that maybe we need to have a product on that. Okay. Very sort of lightweight <laughs> ambition that... <laughs> We, we want to be the, the, at, at, at sort of the top there. And, and that's been the driving force in a way that we want to work with the best organization in the world. And by working with the best organization in the world, we learn. We learn. We improve ourselves. We understand the challenges they're having. We're able to contribute that back into the product, into the technology. But I think there's something fundamentally Finnish about the company, even though we're now fully international in different countries. There's that, the ambition around tech. Um, building a really high quality product, understanding, sort of putting your head down a little bit and doing the work. But there's a lot of this community, um, people actually working together to solve some of these incredibly tough challenges in the world that we have, learning and solving learning being one of them, enabling enabling these things. So, so okay. a lot of that being very, very humble, being very sort of um, not bragging about the stuff that you haven't yet done, uh, all, but still having these underlying ambitions yeah. to being you're really doing, good. You're, you're pushing it hard, but you don't necessarily have to run around and tell everybody about yeah. it and be in their face about it. One, one sort of, I think, different difference between us and a lot of the other learning platform vendors is that we never took any investments into the business. Really? Uh, so, so obviously, we don't have anything against investments, and, and that, that's that's something that we might consider in the future. But growing a business through bootstrapping is, I would say, significantly different than, different than um, getting VC funding, investing in, into everything, because you're sort of, you need to have profitable business first. And, right. and you're just investing just enough to build your product and, and growing from there very organically. Okay. Uh, so, so that's a different mindset. Works for us quite well. Um, <laughs> but you need to grind through some tough stuff there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's just it. It's a, it is a completely different animal when you're bootstrapping it versus if you've, you know, you've got big investors and things like that helping you along the way. All right. Well, so, so with that, because I am curious from this standpoint, because 
so 2008 was really when Valamis officially started. So 12 years ago, the LXP space, or at least the term, was yeah. not well socialized at no. that point. I think most people didn't even really know. I don't even know if it was a buzzword back then. But what what were you really setting out to do? You know, obviously you were doing some software work with big, complicated companies looking at different things. Yeah. Somebody with some learning background went, hey, that could be pretty helpful. So what problems in the market were you seeing or did you say, you know what? I think in the true Finnish spirit, we can go out and be the very best at doing this, but we don't have to tell everybody. We're just gonna we're just gonna crush it and then impress everybody on the other side. Yeah. Well, well, very first sort of concepts around the product was really about social learning and collaboration. Okay. So, so that was that was around time of 2010, 2011, and we sort of figured that a lot of this Finnish research around pedagogy, like phenome-based learning, and how the Finnish education system was changing was around that that sort of collaborative effort of not just looking at individual topics or, or subjects, but looking at broader picture, exploring that, giving the responsibility to the learner. So, so we, we, we started to apply a lot of these things into the product. And they started to resonate with a lot of, for example, uh, I don't think in the, in, the, in the first sort of beginning 2010-11, we didn't have any operation in the U.S., but we had that open source sort of background. So some of the inspiration in the beginning was, hey, learning is actually happening. Learning happens through people kind of connecting and collaborating. We yeah, had to figure yeah. some of that stuff out, which at the time was not, it definitely was not a mainstream thing in no. learning tech. And, and sort of the next phase was actually, and, and that, that was something that I, I really looked hard at was what was happening in digital marketing. And, and digital marketing moved from sort of horizontal portals back then that you, you need to have these aggregation platforms of information into personalization. So there was a big shift from mass, mass yep. media emailing into personalization yep. from there into omnichannel and experience. And that's actually how we took the concept into learning experience platform. I think we talked about learning engagement platform or something like that around 2014. It wasn't the thing. But we figured that the same thing is going to happen with learning that's now happening with marketing. And we need to have very similar technology to support that. And, and I think we've, we've been in that forefront quite often of, hey, this is an interesting concept. This might become a thing. Let's, let's do something around right. that. And quite often, it's actually became a thing. So, so obviously, it, it wasn't a category. Nobody was talking about learning experience platforms back then. And we sort of happened to be at the right time, at the right place. Same thing happened with XAPL, learning record stores, predictive analytics, chatbots later on, and all, all these <laughs> different things they slowly that slowly trickle their way. They slowly trickle their way into learning. Well, the goal and the goal of this show and things like that is hopefully we can move learning more to the forefront of this, right? Where yeah. learning can be one of the groundbreaking groups that then it trickles elsewhere. But what's interesting about what you mentioned with that piece of personalization, because if you do think back to marketing in the, you know, in the 2000. 10 range it was similar to like how oftentimes learning is done where we just kind of drop everything on everyone it's just like hey here's some stuff i don't know who you are or what you do but hopefully you'll find something in here that you find valuable right, just keep boom. let's just blow it on top of you and eventually you'll get there and the problem with it is now especially in the information age where there is so much stuff that just, it's too much. Now, I think one of the things that's interesting about it is this to me is one of the misconceptions of when people think of an LXP, a lot of times they think about it just as, oh, it's this thing that 
aggregates and curates all this stuff, which yes, but to your point about personalization, if it's not doing something intelligently with that stuff to make it more personalized me to the end user, that's not really, that's not really helping. If all it's doing is saying, Hey, you've got a million pieces of stuff that you might find valuable, but you have to go look for it. Hey, guess what? We've put all the million things right in front of your face. I guess technically it kind of solves a problem, but it's not really one that's helping people tremendously. No, and I, I sort of disagreed quite quite a lot with where the LXP definition went. Yep. So I, in, in a lot of ways, I like to be contrarian, and maybe that's the finished thing as well. Um, we'll, we'll, talk about about little, we'll talk about skills a little bit later. Um, but I, I think on the LXP, it, it sort of started with the right, right foot, and then it went a little bit south. And I, I, I think, especially when you think about reflect again about marketing that it went from personalization into omnichannel that we have now different devices where we inter in interact with, with the brand or with the product through different channels through social media through mobile everything else and then they, the marketing moved into experiences so, so what is a quantifiable experience in learning it's not an aggregation of of hundred thousand content items no. you need to actually start especially this year you need to start thinking about complex immersive learning programs that it's a step away from that sort of micro-learning content curation aggregation into much more comprehensive experiences and how that experience looks like in the in a digital format where you actually go and collaborate and apply and uh, work together with somebody else and think it as a team sport in, instead of individual sport, yeah. for example. Well, and the thing the thing that's interesting about it, and and this is where I appreciate the you know contradictory nature of things, because mm. when I was watching this space start to expand, mm. I, my take on it was that wasn't bad. It wasn't bad what was happening, right? There was some good in saying, "Hey, is it a problem that stuff's kind of all over the place and nobody knows where to get it?" Yeah. And if we could bring it together, would that be a good thing? Yeah, but that's one step in the process. And I feel like in a lot of spaces, people just stopped at that step. They're just like, yeah. well, that's the end game. We brought it all together. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like that's not where you stop. That's a, that's an important step to take, but it's, it's layering on something that then you can do more with. And if you end there, you're not really helping anybody. Uh, absolutely. And I, I think that the, one of the challenges that sort of the industry has, has today is that there's there's a lot of different solutions that need to be integrated together. So if you think about the sort of the best of the breed, you have content offering tools, content curation tools, LXPs, LMS, learning record stores, different, different other platforms, you have very sort of disparate data models and, and you're not able to pull all the data together to really understand what's going on. So, so that has been one approach over a long period of time that we've tried to accomplish to have a comprehensive platform where you actually have content authoring curation tools in the same platform, LXP capabilities, functionalities, LMS capabilities. We have our, our own built-in learning record store analytics engine. So, so we may, wanted to make sure that the data is consistent when we move a little bit into the future that the data becomes much more important, that we're able to control how the content is being instrumented, the content is high quality, how the content gets distributed and consumed through different functionalities and mechanisms around complex learning programs or micro learning programs, for example, and how it's being analyzed and what's the feedback loop from that analytics into actually content, improving the instrumentation, improving the instrumentation around distribution of content. And that gives you much more complete picture 
Yeah. And I, I, one of the inspirations from sort of other products, uh, you, you probably heard this Netflix and Facebook of learning and whatever. Don't get me started on that one. <laughs> I like the concept of, of Salesforce in the CRM field that it is a true platform. So, so it works out of the box. You have a lot of functionalities for complex organizations, but yep. you can configure it in a lot of different ways to, to fulfill the certain process that target organization would have, but everything's about data. So, so getting that data aggregated about customers, prospects, conducts, marketing, yep. engagement across different channels. And I, I think ultimately that's where the value of really advanced learning platforms in the future will come from. I don't think we're there yet in terms of leveraging that data that we're collecting today. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of sort of maturity things regarding that, that but that's the direction where we want to go that, okay. that our customers and, and different organizations are able to leverage the data. Really the hard stuff about data and data consistency um, and, and that's that's not 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 easy stuff for many organizations. No, well, and I think so. So I'll hit on two things that I, I love that you you brought this up because I think it's an important point. You know, the one thing is that point about data to me is so critical because it's fine. Similar to, is it good if you just bring all this stuff together from disparate places and you put it somewhere? Yes, but you can't stop there. And the same is true on the data end. That's great if you're capturing data from all these different places and you're pulling it together. But if you're not doing anything with that data, like, well, what, what, so what? You've got, a, you've got a whole bunch of spreadsheets and, and fancy dashboards. But I think, and I actually, when I did my 12 months of tech talks, one of the things that I think we have tremendous opportunity in is for the tech to continue to, and, and I've seen your guys' insights and analytics platform. I think you guys are doing some pretty cool stuff with it because one of the great opportunities I still see in the tech space is many t platforms are still not necessarily putting that data to work and actually saying, hey, we're getting this data. Here's some things that we're seeing or here's some actionable insights that you can take from this to better improve the learner experience or better impact this or that, or actually drive consistency over here. It's not necessarily, it's not there. And to your point, there's, there's room for development in that space. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things though, where sometimes people look to an LXP and say, well, LXPs need to do all that. There actually is a, a you know, further up the supply chain. I do feel like as practitioners, we need to change a lot of our operational practices and even some of the ways we design content or architect systems to be able to say, well, the, the data is only as good as what you feed into it. So if yeah. you're still only doing SCORM packages that give yes, no, pass, fail, the, the, the data and insights you're gonna get out of that, there's not a whole lot of, uh, an LXP can even action off of that. Yeah, 100%, I mean, you can, you can attribute around that that how was the content consumed, but if, if the content is not instrumented about what are you trying to actually measure, um, you're not going to get, get very far. No. Um, but I, I think the main challenge for, for enterprise learning practitioners, especially, is, is the lack of resources. So, okay. so it is partially to blame uh, um, marketing in a way that actually that sort of digital sales marketing function, which is a revenue generating function, that's where the top data scientists today in, in often, often, often large organizations are. They're focused on optimizing their pricing models and availability and everything, everything like that. Uh, that's, that's, that's in a way, how, how does the HR move from support function into, into sort of revenue generation or 
business execution function in, within the business. You know, it's it's interesting you bring that up because I think it's an important point on this one. You know, we a lot of times people in our industry we talk about moving from order taker to strategic business partner. Mm-hmm. I yes, I completely agree, but a lot of times we aren't we aren't really behaving in a way that puts us in a position to be a strategic business partner. Now, one of the things that I think is interesting about 2020 that has worked in our favor is that I do think there is a greater awareness with business leaders seeing the potential of using learning as a strategic advantage, right? Truly Mm -hmm. understanding, hey, how do we actually move our workforce or grow our workforce or shift our workforce based on what our strategic needs are? And to your point about marketing, man, you can move the needle in a business if you have true visibility and insight into your workforce and are able to say, this is what we need to do or to hit our business strategy, we need to align this over here this way. And the only way you do that is to have the tech and the visibility into what's going on. So I think it's a tremendous opportunity, but we've got to, we've got to lean in and actually do this stuff. We can't yeah. doing what we've always been doing. I, I think there's one fundamental sort of lack, which, which L and D or learning in general in organizations have, and it's nothing to do with technology or, or so, sort of, um, I think when when we sort of narrow down into what's the difference between between L and D or learning within organization and marketing is that there's no um, economics of learning. There's no concept of unit economics in a way that how much should I actually invest in the learning program in order to get the maximum value out of that. And I actually tried to do something around this. I, I wrote a paper. Really? I did my MBA in London Business School and went and I harassed these professors uh, up up to the. <laughs> After the end of their patience, these economics professors, and I was asking questions that if you think through micro, micro, microeconomics and you apply that into learning and you produce content at a certain production value and you have a certain benefit, you capture true retention or, or you get more people to behave in a certain way and you can actually value or measure that value and put actual euros or dollars as a value there. Um, you should start to understand how learning investments are made in the right way but this is a completely lack of educational effort in the in the leadership of the organizations that what's the right investment to, ma- to be made in learning when we have a A, B, and C business case. Yeah. Nobody's done that. No. No. And, you know, what's interesting about it is when you really think about the roots of where corporate education and learning came from, it got its roots from academics, mm-hmm. which yeah. that's not how you think about education and learning in a company. It's a, it's a different model. And I think too often we're applying the same model of, well, we're educating, we're, and it's like, no, that's not, that's not the intent, the purpose. There is an economics behind it where you're thinking about, this is a business, this is a strategic business decision. What are we trying to do? Exactly. So I think fundamentally people just, it is a mindset shift because a lot of times organizations are looking at learning as well, well, it's like going to school. You just have to do it. We just have to have it. We don't necessarily really know what we get out of it or what, what comes from it. We just know what we're supposed to. And it's like, no, that is There's not. There's an example yeah. back in the day, and this is quite way back, but it's, it's still very valid. We, we worked with Duke University and they had a patient safety and health center. Okay. So, so they built this fantastic simulation for doctors essentially going through the scenario where you had a virtual patient called Earl uh, it wasn't full VR. It, it was a full 3D simulation, though. And you had to go through and do a diagnostic on a, on a stroke symptom patient. 
Yeah. You, you went and you filled out the forms and then you explored some 3D models of, of uh, MRI scans and everything else. And, and you got a result as analysis. And we, we applied XAPI into that and, and sort of combined learning content with these randomized complex scenarios. And we measured the actual progress being made that when, when once you sort of train and retrain the content, how does your proficiency to adult learning model go from unconscious competence into uh, from from unconscious incompetence into unconscious competence that you're able to do that at, at high level really fast effectively yeah. without mistakes that's proficiency so so it's it's sort of that's a very specific business case where you're you're measuring quality sort of healthcare improvement process yeah. improvement and you're able to train that but I, I, th I think th this is sort of going a little bit into the skills paradigm as well that I think today with skills frameworks, everything else, we're a little bit lazy on the assessment side. <laughs> a little bit? <laughs> yeah. That, that's a finished modesty thing, you know. That, that is that is very modest of you to put it that way. <laughs> but but I, I think that that's connected in the, then into the actual investments, how we should do, if we understand how to measure something and develop proficiency around it, yes. um, that's a high impactful learning. That's a high business value learning that you're able to do but if you're lazy with the assessment and you just tack that I know this, well, it's not and, play and well. again, you know, one of the things that's what's interesting about this is I think sometimes as an industry we're pretty hard on ourselves. Now, do we? Mm. Is, are there good reasons to be? Yes, and sometimes people may hear this stuff and be like, "Wow, we're so terrible," and it's like. <sighs> It's not that we're all on a journey and nobody's mastered this yet. But I think this is kind of the important part of this is how are you how are you thinking differently about it? Because I can say firsthand from doing this, when you actually laser in on a skill, and I'm not just talking some fluffy ethereal skill like leadership. Okay, mm -hmm. leadership is not a skill. Yeah. Leadership is a, a category, which then you have to dive into what are the skills that are within that same with communication communication well what are we talking about let's actually think about more granularly what that is and i mean i've run programs where we've been able to say we need people to do this and today they're doing this and if we can get them to go from this your your incompetent or unconscious incompetence to conscious competence whatever what i'm getting the grid mixed up right but if you can move them along that continuum you can actually quantify, you know what? We're actually having an impact on, we, we, I did one recently. Absolutely. We were actually able to say, we've improved conversations with customers. Why? Well, because we changed this behavior, which is a skill, and we've actually mastered that. We can measure it. And now we can go back and say, guess what? I think we're actually going to see an impact on this because we can prove we've done this. Now, we need to get there, and everybody's on a different part, but- Sometimes when people are like, well, learning really is, you know, you can't really tie it to results. I'm like, yeah. whoa, no, well, no, no. You and and that, that's, that's really, if, you, if you're at the top leadership and if you understand how that, uh, that change management, how, how that, that strategy process works in the execution level by applying digital learning in, in a scale to change these behaviors within the organization to actually support the strategy that you've set out as a leader, um, that's quite powerful. Uh, there was really, really sort of fundamental course at, at London Business School that I attended by Costas Marquides. He's one of the top strategy thinkers, uh, really good presenter and good lecturer, if, if anything else. Uh, but he talked about exactly like, like what are the behaviors that then enable and implement the strategy? 
And then from the learning perspective, measuring uh, change in the organization, uh, what are the behaviors that we're able to identify that then, then reflect then the learning process that we're actually moving from A to B? Yep. But I, I think really good L&D organizations, um, for example, shout out to, to Sam Mold from, from Alex Partners. They're now um, they're, they're qualified for the, for the learning platform of the year. But what they've done really well, and I think this is true for all the really good L&D organizations, they're really good at change management. Okay. Yep. They're, they're really good on, on ad, sort of marketing the concept of new pro learning programs into their staff and really hearing about what's the really the content that people are missing, missing and they want to have and how they want to consume that content and then sort of change how people actually learn and, and how, they, how they do their business through that. Yeah. Well, so on this, because I'm really curious as, as you've kind of been on this journey with, with Valimus, because I think these things are all important pieces. And again, everybody's in different stages of maturity on this. And as far as I'm concerned, regardless of where you are, as long as you're moving forward in some capacity, you're ahead of 95% of every, everyone else, right? Because so often it's like, well, we aren't, we, we aren't moving forward. We're just kind of keeping things the same. And in this day and age, if you're staying the same, you're falling back ridiculously fast because things are, are moving so far forward. So as you've been with Valmus over the years, how have you continued then to see those changes or how have you grown and kind of advanced the tech to say, all right, this is where we started. How are you staying on top of kind of where things are going? Well, there's quite practical in a way process that, that we, we set out a long-term vision, which is, is the educated guess what we need to do in the long term. What's going, be important. <laughs> What's going to be important for that for our customers over over longer period of time? For one reason or another, we, we seem to have a good guesses in the history as well. So we're we're not, we're not breaking something that seems to be working. Okay. But then on a, on a short term, it's really working really closely with the customers and listening to them what they need, what needs to be changed. And this is much more the work that our UX designers, our product managers do on a day to day basis really listen where we need to improve, what are what are the things that we might be lacking, and then just evolving the product const constantly. But the, these long-term things are more something that we don't hear from customers today, but yeah. it's what we think that we're going to hear in the next couple of years. Uh, and, and there's inspiration often from other industries or from these partnerships that we have working with some of these, these brilliant organizations um, one of our long-term partnerships has been, has been to work with NASA, for example. That was my personal dream uh, to be able to do that. And we've learned from them so much. Um, for example, a lot of things around AI, machine learning, um, just to be able to work in that context, which is hugely inspirational. Um, thinking about organization structures or um, moving from hierarchical organization to team of team structures, that has been a long, long conversation with them and what it means for learning organization. How should we model learning organizations, for example? And that goes into the ultimate question around data and the benefit of the data, building products around data, for example, in a long-term basis. And if we just think today, so, so what has been a major change in, in most business in the world this year, we moved into remote work. Yep. Uh, we've, we've changed how we collaborate and, and there's been a lot of struggles around collaboration and innovation. Yeah. <laughs> Productivity has gone up measurably, uh, that, that seems. 
Unless but you he, talk to the Netflix or the yeah Netflix yeah. CEO, he yeah. thinks nothing good has come from this. <laughs> <laughs> but in a way, this is a, this is a really unique opportunity for us to see, because we now have actually data how people collaborate. Because yeah. we're using digital tools that collect that data. Like we did already three four years learning programs where we collect the data from Slack. Uh, from teams that did this collaborative project, learning project together, they actually went through and designed, built, uh, and, and, and test product development cycle and while they were collaborating, while they were learning as a group through uh, what, what does it mean? How do we manufacture something? How do we design something that works? How do we test something? And, and we saw how they communicate. So application of things like what... Um, well, the MIT has done around social physics, Alex, Alex Pendlin's work, yep. understanding communication patterns, understanding psychological safety, and that as a holistic system, understanding how people actually collaborate is very different how people, how, how HR looks through organization structure and how people actually work. Yeah. And that goes into, can we use that data to redesign the organization, data-driven organizational design or data-driven organizational behavior um, these, these these are moving way beyond, in a way, learning data as, as a silo, but yeah. I don't think we're in the silo. Um, but we these have, are, we've got to break those silos. Personally, to me, this is one of the exciting parts. If you look at you know technologies like the LXPs, like the LRSs, mm -hmm. that are starting to actually shatter some of the silos that we've had, because we have operated in this, well, this is the world we know, and so that's the data we have. And, and as a result, not that what we had was wrong, it was just incomplete. We only had yeah. Yeah. We only had one part of the data, which anybody who knows data science knows, if you're only looking at things from one angle, you're missing, like you're missing a lot. And it's, and you may think, yeah, we are right on target. And you might be making, running into hurdles going, why isn't this working? I just don't get it. It looks like it should work. And then you turn a little bit to the side and look at it from a different angle and you go, oh, Okay, that's why, because there's this other thing we just couldn't see from the way we were looking at it. And I think there's tremendous opportunity there. Well, I, I think it's an opportunity for the HR function or the LND function to actually take ownership of that data, that the yes. organizational behavior, big data, because nobody's taking ownership of it right now. No. And, no. and if you think that, if, if you have that, somebody within the organization with that research mindset that, that goes around, like you start collecting the data and looking at, looking at, so how is our organization performing today? How people are actually working? Maybe we have different view, the official view, and then this is how things actually work. Can we yeah. provide valuable insights, inputs into the whole organization that we need to actually change how these things operate? And especially in this environment, I think there's, there's a massive risk for organizations that you're gonna lose people because they're not connected. They're not socially connected and building relationships and collaborating. They, they're isolated in, in their home, maybe in Finland. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> in the dark. <laughs> in the dark. Uh, so, so how you fix that? And it becomes measurable data science program. Learning has a huge part in that engagement, teaching people, having, having opportunities to learn how to collaborate in this digital environment where we are remote. How do we take care of ourselves in this environment? Make sure that... And I and I think the the point you bring up with this, and I think because imagine imagine if organizations spent as much time researching and doing the experimentation on the data on their employees as they do on customers. 
Yeah. Exactly. How much, how much time and money and resources do we spend trying to understand our customer and the customer journey and what is their user experience and what are they doing right now? And how do we better reach them and enable them? If we did the same thing with our employees, the possibilities of what we could do as a business, because to your point, and I think this again is one of the positives that came out of 2020 is the fact that I get why we didn't really do this in the past. It was really hard. We yeah. didn't have data. It was done in, you know, you didn't really know how people collaborated or you didn't really know how work got done. It just kind of got done. And unless you like what sat with somebody all day for a month, you didn't really know what happened. It was a terribly inefficient way to figure out what was going on in the organization. But now with digital technology, we have visibility into that. We have visibility into that. But the problem is to your point, who owns that data? Well, to me, it's the organization that's responsible for the people. That's us. 100%. And, and I, I've heard a lot of arguments in the past that, well, well you need to get physically together. You need to, need to have that connection. I, I grew up with online games. I grew up with MMORPGs and all this stuff where you have hundreds of thousands of people collaborating in extremely coordinated manner. Uh, whether that's waging war against each other or, or some kind of scheming and, and stuff like that. But that was done fully virtually. Nobody met each other. We were using IRC. We were using all these different tools that we built to collaborate, to build um, sort of sustainability around your community, to get the connection and the social togetherness together that you, you feel as, as a family going against the, the other guys somewhere else. But But... <laughs> It's all done. It's all done, and it's it's all working in a fully virtual, uh, uh, if needed. That's yeah. that's proven. Um, well, there's interesting about that. that. See, you went here, so I'm gonna I'm just totally gonna go here with this one because this is a point, <laughs> right? This is a point I get really amped up about because similar to you, right? I hear I've heard this for forever that well, so, there's just something somehow better about in person, and I think that also has slowed down digital transformation in learning and development, because we are still holding on to this idea that there's something superior to it. Somehow it's superior. And to me, when I look at it, my, my, my response to that is, I guess, how are you measuring it? Because if you're measuring it as, you know, feel good, or maybe, you know, community building things like that, which, which has a place, that's fine. That may have one thing. But if you're saying performance, if you're, if you're measuring that with a performance measurement saying, can people perform as well or potentially better through digital enablement? And can they do that seamlessly? I think universally for sure. And I think the same is true from learning. We, we may be able to look at this and say, can you actually build skills completely digitally? Yes. Yeah, you yeah. actually can. And in many regards, the speed and scale you can do it digitally is actually vastly superior, like vastly superior. Absolutely. But it's just different. It's different. So, so, so the skills needed for digital learning, and this is interestingly something I learned at a very young age. Um, there, there was something around 2000 about information searching. I, I sort of stumbled upon this person called uh, Fravia, Francesco Vianello. Unfortunately, he's passed away. But he was definitely one of the most sort of inspirational figures for me um, to find out how to search for information, how to learn myself, how to enable myself in a way to learn anything I wanted to do. And that's one of the reasons definitely that took me as a part, as an entrepreneur. And, and that's still 
so valid today that if you're able to take that control and ownership of your learning process, you can do that by yourself. You have all these resources available, but if you're in the mode that you expect somebody to teach you or somebody to put the information in front of you, that's tough um, if, if, if you don't have those skills. But the same way as goes with collaboration, what we did with NASA Epic Challenge, for example, we took a bunch of students from Finland as well, and we had some US students as well, and, and the NASA team gave them a challenge that they could take good and solve. So giving them, them this this okay, this is this is sustaining habitation on Mars or, or something like that. They had multiple different challenges. And, and even we cannot solve it as a NASA. So so you you don't have any pressure to fail. You can fail as you want as part of the process. That's actually how you learn. And and a lot of these students without any background in in even in engineering working in multidisciplinary teams with different backgrounds, they came up with ideas around this really tough concept or, or tough environment, living, living in sustaining habitation on Mars, that were applicable for entrepreneurial ideas here in Earth. Um, so a lot of these students became entrepreneurs. And I, I, I think that's sort of proving that that can be done fully digitally, proving that that can be, you can train entrepreneurship, which is which is quite sort of holy grail for any any country or, or government trying to how do we how do we improve our economy? Let's let's create more entrepreneurs. How do we do that? We don't know. Um, so, so everything can be done in digital, but it's a different skill set. It's a very different skill set. And to your point, it's not only a different skill set, but even before you get to those skills, it's a different mindset. Yeah, it is a very different mindset because where I see this stuff break down all the time is. And, and I call it the Stockholm syndrome of learning and development in that people are trying to do what they know and are comfortable with. And they're being like forced to do it digitally, but they're trying to do the same thing. They're just trying to do the same thing in this different way versus completely flipping their mindset to say, hey, wait a minute, let's step back and say, what are we really trying to do here? Then let's figure out how we could do that with no rules. Let's let's not sit and go. Oh well, we this is what we used to do. So let's yeah. carry that. Forward. Well, forget it. Digital's breaking all that. I think there's a huge part as well as for us. It's given that we need to have culture within the company that reflects the values, everything else. We hired the culture. Maybe for some of the larger organizations, it's it's sort of catching up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but these days, also sustainability. Being responsive, responsible from from re-educating your staff, for example. So what I saw, for example, in in, in UK quite a bit, in in financial sector, that there, there's a mass massive amount of people getting fired from the from the jobs that are getting sort of replaced by other other things, and then you have other people getting hired into the business in these tech roles, for example. And a lot of these CEOs basically saying that. It's not economically viable to, to retrain or reskill people as they work. I think that's something, that's one of those problems that made me see red, that there needs to be ways. How can we, how can we make that happen by having technology? But I think we're going to have a lot of challenges around the data, a lot yeah. around privacy, data ownership. We are. Transparency. But, but generally, I think L&D has a huge role in this sustainability um, for, for CSR, for companies and everything else. But I don't think that's yet talked about. No, it's not. And, and again, I see similarly, I see red when I hear things like that, because the opportunity is right in front of us. It's literally right in front of us. And it's a matter of, are we going to take that opportunity? And it's not, 
I think you can't understate the challenges ahead of you. I, I think if you yeah. think you're going to just take this opportunity and it's going to be a walk in the park and and you're going to get to kick back and and the business is just going to herald your function as as you know fantastic. No, you're going to have to put in some real some real work. You're going to be faced with some real challenges. But this is an opportunity. I don't think I think it's existed for a long time, but I don't think it's existed and was as attainable as it has been today. Well, here's an example, and this is this is actually from from several years back from from a government entity. Um, they, they consolidated essentially all the government payroll and HR functions in one one company, one one organization, and and they did their strategy work and they started looking at what's the impact of robotic process automation into that payroll HR, which is a lot of uh, routine work essentially that that yep. is now automated, and they basically look at the organization and said that well. In the next five to ten years, um, we're gonna need thirty percent of the stuff that we have today. But it's a government organization, so what do we do? How do we ensure that these people that won't have a job will have a job in the future? Yep. So all these people with accounting, HR, payroll background were trained as RPA, robotic process automation experts. They yep. they educated them and basically look at the the automation industry that there's gonna be a huge mass of, of new jobs there. And if you have the subject matter expert expertise from understanding the processes, understanding the, how the payroll, everything else works, and now you have these skills to automate that, you will have a lot of work in the, in this today, even today, yeah. anywhere you go. And, and you're likely to make more money, actually, as, as average salary as well. I think that's a sustainable strategy. If you're government, you're firing a bunch of people that will go into unemployment benefits or, or so, so of things like that, it's actually actually much cheaper to retrain everybody, much make sure that they have jobs. Yeah. And that's the right skills. Yeah. And I think that's the we we talked about long form conversation before mm -hmm. we came on, before we came live. And I think that's one of the things where some of these conversations to help illustrate these points and highlight some of these things, because there's a lot of factors. I think I think L and D leaders, I think business leaders don't always take into account, and it's not their fault. They're just not thinking about it necessarily about the cost of retention. The, how much does it cost you to have a disengaged employee? There are there are actual negative. There's money coming out of your system when you're not addressing these types of things or skills. You, letting go of people is not cheap. It, it no. always sounds cheap to be like, oh, we'll just cut back. Yeah, well, that's easier said than done. And guess what? Usually the jobs simply moved, similar to your government example. They moved to a different spot. So now you got rid of all these people. That was expensive. Now you have to go find all these new people that you have to hire. And hiring's not cheap. And now you're bringing in all new people. You've lost all that intellectual capital for the organization. I mean, these are these are big, massive numbers when you actually start breaking it down. But it's it's. I think a lot of the challenges around where we are now, and we, we talked about the sort of remote work, is uh, this, this sort of is is a is a little bit meta into this this long form conversation as well. But I think this is a, this is a good way to build trust. Yes, I, I think when we when we think about organizations and collaboration, you need to you need to spend more time because we have limited bandwidth yep. to to have exchange of ideas uh, where we are coming from, if, if it's from Finland or somewhere else, to spend spend actually more time because of this limited bandwidth to, to exchange ideas. And that's how we build trust. Then we're able to go and collaborate and, and ideate. But I think on a higher level that goes, and I think what, what you're doing is, is great here in a way to, 
you open up the conversation with vendors, learning technology providers, and, and different different practitioners. I think we should have more long-form conversation with everybody in a way to build this trust. And we had a short chat about different sort of how this dance works right now in most cases, <laughs> which is through long list of RFPs instead of conversations. Um, but th this is really something that we, we are passionate about to understanding even before we start any kind of project or delivery or use of product to understand where the where the organizations that we're looking to work with are, uh, what what are the challenges they, they have today, where they want to go, what, what's their ambition. And we can exchange in a way that this is how we're thinking about things on, on the yeah. short term, long term. This is our vision. This is how we like to work. We like to work in a partnership really in depth uh, over long periods of time. Um, and I think it just needs more more time to... Is it, well, what's funny about this, so what's funny about this on the practitioner side, and this is where I caution people when they approach, whether it's an LXP or any sort of new learning tech, they're looking, they're looking to solve a problem. And sometimes what I see happen, and I, and I think this is where it goes south, is we, there's this underlying assumption that we just need to go pick a, we just need to go pick a platform. We just need to go pick a platform and we just need to get it. And then once we get it, We'll kind of figure it out and we just need to make sure it does this stuff and it'll happen. And honestly, in my entire career, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. It's just not the way it works. And, and, I, and I liken it to you know, getting in shape or losing weight. We're, we're always looking for like the easy pill. Isn't there this one pill that I can just take and it'll be done? Or can I just go on the treadmill for 37 seconds and if I run really fast and that's all I do once a week, I'll get in shape and no. No, you, you need to take the time to really dig into what are you doing? What are the challenges? And to your point, working with other vendors to say, hey, here's what we're talking about. Here's where we're going through. What, what do you think? How do we think about this? Is this something that makes sense? Because while that may feel like hard work, and I think this is the thing that, again, it's, it's kind of this short-term mindset of, you're looking at the short-term effort that goes into something like this. All that feels like a lot. That's a lot of conversations. That's a lot of peeling back this onion. Can't we just buy something and be done with it? But then you don't take into account the, the pain, the money spent, the effort that then gets just completely wasted because you didn't do this on the front end. And I think there's a lot of lessons people can take from that in learning and development in general. When you you're, you think you're saving yourself time and effort and money on the front end, but you just end up burning it. You just end up burning it in the long haul. Absolutely. So, so I, I think it, it's when you think about implementation of a learning platform altogether, it, it's in, in small part only technology. You have all the people collaborating, all the expertise that goes into there, all the content, all the change management, everything else. Technology is, is quite easy. It's quite simple in the end. Um, I'm, I'm much more worried about quality of content, for example, um, and, and moving from, from this sort of simple micro-learning into more complex, immersive programs. And quite often, you, you need to have some sort of inspiration there. You need to have some ambition. Um, one of the organizations we work with, with is it's, it's partially funded European Space Agency and European Union. It's called Copernicus Program. I, I don't know if you heard about it, but it's, it's the largest... Um, European sort of space investment, uh, which collects data about climate change, environment, everything else through these satellites. And they, they produce that data completely open. So all that data is available for anybody to use. Problem, 
nobody's using it, or, or at least it requires a lot of expertise to use yeah. it. They now have this multi-billion dollar, billion euro program to do that. So they approached that, that, okay, we need to educate the educators first. We need to build a program. We need to build an impermanency program where people are actually taking their case studies to a collaborative effort of what it means for society planning for, for, for Spain or, or specific specific city in Spain when you have uh, a drought, up, drought coming up in, in the next 10 years or how you do investments into agriculture. So you're taking these different business concepts and you actually apply the learning around these business concepts while you're getting the data from this source. And they built a brilliant blended learning program and first training the trainers in different European Union countries and, and then taking them through the digital journey, which in, includes virtual collaboration and that's how they're actually leveraging now these massive investments okay. and this behavior change throughout these different different European Union countries. So, so it can be done, but it's just a lot of work. It's a lot of work. That's <laughs> I, I joke that like I used to have hair. It's a lot of work. What we do is a lot of work, especially if you want to do it well and you want to focus on these things that they're not easy. They're not easy. They're they're complex. They're challenging, but. To your point, they're worthwhile. Yeah. And I think that's the part that it, it can feel hard. You can feel overwhelmed. You can feel like, good grief, why, why would we do this? But I can tell you, once you get to the other side, you never look back and go, I, I just don't think it was worth it. Yeah. Never. I can, I've never gotten to that other side and gone, yeah, the stress, the hassle. Nah, I, I wouldn't yeah, do that. That is the opportunity. What, what drives us, I, I think... A lot of our, our people as well to understand what we are actually doing, even though it's a, it's a it's a small part. But if we can have anything to do with, for me personally, like a, becoming a multiplanetary species and uh, building habitation in Mars, we've had a tiny contribution in that. It's all worth it. Cool. Uh, if we're able to contribute around programs like Copernicus or these other programs, like in Schoolwork in Sweden, we're training all the educators throughout the country at at one goal, which is a massive effort there. Understanding the, the the effect we can do in the in the organizations, into in the countries, into larger scale sort of humanity. I think that's that's the inspirational thing and opportunity what we have. Yeah. Both tech perspective and and, and <laughs> practitioner. Yeah. Well, and I think I'll I'm gonna wrap us up because I'm telling you, see, I told you <laughs> we could just keep going, but you're you're on your holiday break and I'm I'm well into your evening, although it's been dark for a while for you. But I think one of the things, and this is one of the points of the show, is that it's easy to get caught up in the techs and specs. And I, and I think we hit and balance some of the capabilities of an LXP and what it can do. But I think one of the things that really came out that was an important message to hit home is that it's about, it's really about what's behind that and kind of the why behind why are you doing this. And, and really, you know, it, for me especially, it's been helpful to get a better picture of what is the team at Valamis? What is kind of that mission behind why they're doing because the reality is features and specs that you can tweak them you can modify them it'll continue to evolve and yes is it important to compare those based on your use cases for sure however understanding how a product and team can line up to what you're trying to do is is critical and i think uh i, I think you're doing you all are doing some important work and i appreciate the time you've spent i know it's into your evening and uh, I, I made you be social and, and have small talk. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully it was good. Hopefully those of you watching got something out of it. And, you know, if you weren't able to stick around 
for this because it's we're coming into the end of the year. It's a great way to start your development for 2021. So thank you so much for being here. Great conversation. I enjoyed the time. Thanks, everybody, for watching. I will be back in 2021. I wish you all the best holiday season. I hope you have a great one, and we will see you on the other side.